Hey, thanks, Daniel. Hey, and welcome, Blackhawk Church family. So good to get a chance to be able to be with you all again today. If I've never had a chance to meet you, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Blackhawk. Hey, and before we get too far into things, I have a couple of announcements, uh, just some you know things I'd like to make sure that you know about. One is... Uh, this next week, uh, Sunday, we are going to be starting a new series that we are going through as we walk through the book of Galatians together. And so for the next nine weeks, we're going to have a chance to be able to dive in to this particular book. Uh, the title of the series is Galatians, the letter that saved the church. And uh, we think it's going to be fantastic. And, and so, but we actually have a little bit of homework that we want you to do before we get there. We'd love for you to carve out a little bit of time this week to be able to just sit down and just read through the book of Galatians, start to finish. It's a short little book in the New Testament. It should only take you around about 20 minutes to be able to dive into, uh, but we think it would be a great way for us to start. So another thing to note, last week we finished up a short little three-week series called Breakthrough. Uh, it was a fantastic series that you might want to check out if you've missed the last few weeks. Uh, but Pastor Chris, last week, right at the beginning of his message, right before he started into his sermon, actually gave us some updates on Advent conspiracy giving that happened over Christmas from all of you. And uh, I actually have another update on top of that update that, uh, that I wanted to fill you in on. And, uh, and since last week, there's actually been a little more giving that took place that we realized. And the number now that you all gave through Advent Conspiracy is just over $540,000. To be exact, $540,437. That is unbelievable from 840 different households. So... Way to go, Blackhawk. So unbelievable. Uh, and then on top of that, in this last year, 2020, which was a really hard year on a lot of people financially, and we haven't been meeting in person the way that we would love to be able to meet. We actually saw 308 new givers just to Blackhawk Church as a whole. That is just incredible. And so to all of you who gave to Advent Conspiracy, to all of you who jumped in the game, regardless if you're new to the church or this is just the first time that you gave, thank you so much for being willing to do that. You know, the message today actually is on the subject of giving and generosity. Now, I'm guessing that as I said that, potentially the, the mood just changed wherever it is that you're watching the sermon. You know, because it's one thing to like be able to kind of celebrate, hey, we gave over $540,000, you know, like get all excited about, pat ourselves on the back. But it's a completely different thing where all of a sudden I turn and say, today we're going to talk about giving. Like that can be like the biggest killjoy. There could be some of you who are ready to just like turn things off right now and just sort of move on with your day. But before you do that, as one of your pastors, I just want to be able to say this to you that really that my desire today is not to get something from you, but my desire is actually to get something for you. Because really, like when we look at the idea of scripture and what it has to say on the subject of, of, of giving and finances and generosity, in reality, God wants something for us way more than he needs something from us. I mean, just think about this for a minute. God God needing something from us. <laughs> like, uh, he's God. 
You know, so he kind of created everything. The idea of God needing something from us, that's just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny to think about. Like the idea that God needs us, the people that he created, to give him something that already belongs to him. <laughs> that's just kind of funny. Because he already owns everything. You know, I mean, Scripture says, look, Scripture says in Psalm 24, uh, verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Like, everything already belongs to God. And God can make anything that he wants. You know, so like, okay, when I think about the different partners that we had for Advent Conspiracy, the different people who we had a chance to be able to give to. One of them that comes to mind is um, Lighthouse Church and Lighthouse School here in town. Lighthouse School has different needs for their students as they're doing and continuing online learning. There are students there who aren't able to afford what they need in technology to be able to do school. They need laptops and iPads and, and different things like that. So we wanted to give that way. But if we think about it, I mean, couldn't God just sort of give them that stuff? You know, like God says, yeah, how many, you know, how many iPads? How many laptops do you need? You know, and there they are. God could easily do that. <laughs> but we all know that he doesn't. That's not the way that, that, that he works. Instead, he calls on us, his people, to be generous with what he has placed in our care with other people to, to meet the needs of others, even though he could do it on his own. I mean, when we stop to think about it that way, could it be that giving and generosity is more for our sake than it is for his sake? It, could it be that we actually gain more when we give? Potentially, could that be the reason why you know, in scripture, in, in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul actually quoted Jesus saying this. It's a phrase I think that many of us know. It's better, it's better to give, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I, I mean, my guess is, is that you have heard that before. <laughs> but how many of us, we really buy it? Like when you think about that, it's better to give than to receive. If I'm honest, I really like receiving and so the idea of it's better to give than to receive, do we really believe that that's true? That's what I want to look at today. Do we really believe the idea of giving is better than receiving? Do we really believe that that's true? And if we do believe it's true, then what stands in the way of us actually living that out? And then on top of that, when we give, what is it actually that we do receive that makes giving better than receiving? That's where I want to head today. I actually think the conversation is going to be kind of fun. And uh, we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture found in the New Testament. So if you have your paper Bibles or whatever tablet or device you look at scripture on, go ahead and turn with me right now to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is where we are headed today. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, a um, couple different things to know about. Uh, as we dive into this. Just a little bit of background on 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a book written by the Apostle Paul, um, written to one of his co-workers and his mentee, if you will, Timothy. And he had sent Timothy to work with a particular church, the church in Ephesus, or the Ephesian church. 
and he was working with them because they had different questions and struggles of what they were dealing with, with the gospel and what it really meant to live that out. And so Paul sent Timothy to work with that church. And he is writing this letter to encourage Timothy as he's working with this church. And the topic of giving and generosity is one of the things that was brought up in this particular section. And so go to verse 17 with me for a minute. That's where we are going to dive in together. Paul says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, do you see, do you see what's taking place there right at the beginning? Paul begins with saying, command those who are rich. You see, with the church that Timothy was working with at that time, guarantee there were people who were all over the map financially, those who were well off and those who were hurting. Kind of like in the same way that we deal with here at Blackhawk. I, like, I wanna be sensitive whenever I bring this up because I know within our church, there are people who are very wealthy and then there are people who are like just barely making it by. You know, in fact, it would be interesting. Maybe you can play along with this with me. Raise your hand right now, wherever you're at, if you would put yourself in the category of being rich. You see, my, my guess is, is that there probably weren't a lot of hands that, that went up because a lot of us, we don't think of ourselves as rich. We don't put ourselves in that category. We put the people who are rich in that category more so than us until we stop to look at the way we compare to the rest of the world. You know, when, when you look at some of these different statistics of, of, of the world's perspective of wealth and the way that it's out there, the reality is if you're a person, if you have sufficient food, decent clothes, if you, you live in a house or an apartment that you're able to buy or rent, um, if you have a reasonably reliable means, mode of, of transportation that you can use, you actually fall in the top 15% of the world's most wealthy. On top of that, if you are a person who makes an annual salary of $25,000 or more, you actually find yourself in the top 10% of the world's most wealthy. You see, all of a sudden, we begin to realize we, for many of us, we are, we are more rich than we realize. So, so what does Paul say to that particular crowd? He says, well, verse 17, command those who are rich in the present world not to do what? Not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides for everything for our enjoyment. Not to put your hope in, in your wealth. He's basically just saying, look, don't count on your wealth as the thing that you're going to be able to live off of forever. Like, because it's not a guarantee that it's all gonna be there. It's circumstantial. We all know it, like, it can be there today and be gone tomorrow due to all sorts of different situations. I mean, let me ask, do you know, do you know anybody over the last year who has been hit hard financially? Maybe that's you. We never saw things coming and ending up this way, but for whatever reason, we got hit and we took a hit financially. What, what Paul is saying is, look, just don't put your hope in your wealth. 
You know, Jesus actually, when he was walking the planet, talked about the exact same thing in the book of Matthew chapter six. If you have a paper Bible right now, you might wanna just put your finger in 1 Timothy six and flip over to the first book of the New Testament to Matthew chapter six. And let's look at that for just a minute. This is where Jesus was um, basically gave the, probably the most famous sermon that is in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter six of Matthew, Jesus said this, he said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's really painting the same picture. Look, don't put your hope in the things of this world. Don't store up treasures on earth. He goes on to say, store up treasures in heaven. Okay, well, that sounds rather churchy, doesn't it? Like, it sounds so nice. Just store up treasures in heaven. <laughs> what does that actually mean? You know, well, it's interesting. Paul, in the very next verse in 1 Timothy 6, actually goes on to give us a picture of what that looks like. So flip back over, 1 Timothy 6 now, to verse 18. He says, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What does storing up treasures in heaven look like? Well, it means doing good for other people. In fact, it goes on to say being rich in the things that we do for other people, being rich in good deeds in the way that we serve other people, by, by sharing with what it is that God has blessed us with and by being generous with other people. This is the way that Paul says that we experience life that is truly life, or as we might say today, the good life. You see, I think that for many of us, we have a hard time believing that. We think in our mind, okay, if I live that way and I share and I give and I do all of these different things, I'm going to actually live kind of a lame life because we have, see, we have bought into the idea of what this world has told us. We've bought into the idea that, that we live the good life when we live off of everything it is that we are blessed with as if it is only for us. And it's this idea of, of, of consumerism and a materialistic mentality that this culture and society sells us that helps us to believe that when we live that to the full, that's when we live the good life. Well, the words that Paul is using here go completely up against that to say that if we want to live a good life, <laughs> it's by sharing. It's by, by giving to other people, by being generous with what we have, by doing good towards other people that in doing that, we experience the life that is truly life. We gain the fullness of the life that we live by sharing with other people. In other, in other words, we, we fully live when we freely give. That's the good life. The good life is encapsulated in this. We fully live when we freely give. It's this idea that God gives to us. And then we take some of it, we give back to him by giving to other people. God gives to us. 
we in turn take some of it, give back to him by giving to other people. It's this giving and taking, this back and forth. That's what it's really supposed to look like. It kind of reminds me of like a game of, well, a game of catch. Anybody grow up ever playing catch? You remember the game of catch? Okay, here's what I've done. I actually, I decided that this morning it could be kind of fun to actually play the game of catch. And so I have uh, invited my wife, Rachel, to come, up on sta- to come up on stage with me right now to play catch. So wherever you're at, if you can light up the chat or uh, clap from your home and welcome to the stage right now with me, my wife, Rachel Metzger. Woo! Hello. <laughs> Honey, thanks for being here. So fun. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never been more nervous playing catch with this many people watching. Seriously, no pressure. No pressure. No expensive equipment around right now. It just feels great. So now I, in all honesty, I grew up loving playing the game of catch. It was one of my favorite things to do. I would, uh, all the time when I was young, I would ask my dad if he would be willing to play catch with me. And uh, then um, finally I got married and my wife had to take over. And so this is something that we do on a regular basis. It doesn't matter if it's a football or a Frisbee or a baseball, you'll find us in our front yard doing this quite often. And then we had daughters. And uh, early on, uh, I taught them how to play catch. I remember the one year when you got me a new baseball glove and got them gloves as well, and that sort of started the journey of it all. Right, yeah, I think you, I think you put it in our wedding vows that I had to do. <laughs> Actually, it's true. It's important, it's really yeah. important. So, and the girls picked up and have done it quite well from there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure more than one father said you've gotten a coupon for a game of catch from the girls. <laughs> Yeah, I actually think you're right. Yeah, I think I've got a couple of those on my, uh, on my dresser right now. So, so, okay, here's the reality of the game of catch. The game of catch, I mean, this seems so elementary, it's ridiculous to bring it up. The game of catch only works when both people are actually throwing and catching. You know, in other words, that if uh, that I have to throw the ball to Rachel for her to be able to catch, she has to be able to throw the ball to me for me to be able to catch. Like if I were to, when I take the ball, throw it to her and she just kept it. Okay, well, um, I got another, I think, in here. All right, here you go, hon. Thank you. Interesting. Um, okay, well, let's, let's mix it up a little bit. Let's try something different. You know, Packers today, let's go. So we can go this way. Oh, hang on. There we go. Very interesting. All right, well, let's, <laughs> let's move to Ultimate Frisbee season and just see how this goes. Do you see how lame this is? I mean, like, the thing that happens is that if this is the way the game of catch ends up working for us, the thing that takes place is, well, the game ends really quickly, and it's really not all that fun. You know, grab your glove again, hon, because the reality is, have you got a ball there? Or I can grab one. Have you got anything in your mind basket? <laughs> <I guess. laughs> the beauty of the game of catch, again, is in the back and forth. She ends up giving the ball to me, throwing it to me. I catch. I turn around and throw it back to her. That is the beauty of the game of catch. Can much we do something? <laughs> it's much more fun. Can we do something for a minute? Can we thank Rachel for being on stage? If you can blow up the chat again. If you know her, you can text her. That would be great. 
Absolutely. So that's the game of catch. Now, I think you get the picture. You know, when it comes to our relationship with God, God gives to us and his desire for us to experience the good life is by turning and giving some back to him by giving to others. And in doing that, there's just this ongoing give and take and it really becomes an unbelievable game of catch. But here's the thing, like for so many of us, we know that and yet reality is giving that way, it's hard. Like it's not that easy because we deal with our own struggles, our own sin, our own selfishness, our own desire for things to keep them to ourselves. What stands in the way of us playing that game of catch? Well, one is, um, uh, one big one that comes up is actually debt. Now, according to statistics, um, within you know, society, within our world, within our church, there are a lot of people who are in debt. In fact, there could be more people who are in debt than are not in debt. And so if you're a person, you find yourself in debt, welcome to Blackhawk Church. So glad that you are here and with us. And we know the difficulty of being in debt. Like debt is like trying to play catch with your hands tied down to your side. It just doesn't work and it gets kind of painful. You know, like, and, and for so many of us, we feel caught in this world of debt and not sure how to be able to get out. The reality is God desires to help us to get to a place of being outside of that and to a place where we can actually live in financial freedom and financial margin. Because it, as we live in financial margin, we have to be able to give and be generous with other people. One of our desires here at Blackhawk is to be able to help people within our church who are underwater or struggling with debt or trying to figure out right practices financially to be able to help them. And so for years now, we have had a class that has been uh, run by different volunteers within our church that are really good when it comes to the subject of finances. It's a nine-week class that people can sign up for that helps to like teach good principles and good habits on what it means to be able to live and move towards financial freedom. It's a nine-week class. And listen, over the last two years in that nine-week period, the people and couples who took that class, they were actually to clear out over $475,000 worth of non-mortgage debt. That's unbelievable. You know, we'd love for you to sign up for one of those classes. If you're in one of those places, man, we'd so highly encourage you to sign up for one of these classes. Listen, if you're a college student or like you're in your young 20-something life and you're just beginning the financial like journey that you're gonna be on, I cannot recommend this enough. And this year, it's so easy because you don't have to get to one of our buildings to be able to take the class. You just simply log on online and you can do this nine-week class from wherever you're at. All the information is on our website. We'd love for you to take a look at that. That's one of the obstacles is debt. Another one that we struggle with really is the subject of fear. Fear when I'm playing a game of catch is the thing that causes me to feel like I need to hang on to the ball and keep it for myself and put it in my mind bin because I'm not so sure that I'm gonna have enough down the line. Fear is the thing, it moves from a scarcity mentality and it moves towards the idea of worry and really what it's based upon more than anything else is trust. Do I really trust that God is going to throw the ball back for me when I end up throwing it to him? You know, um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, 
You know, we talked about that a little bit, Matthew chapter six, what Jesus had to say about treasures in heaven and money. You know what's interesting? The very next subject that he covered in Matthew chapter six, go back there for just a minute, Matthew chapter six. The very next subject that he covered is worry. He said this, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He goes on to talk more and more about this, but I think it's so interesting to realize that he, right after talking about money, talks about worry. Why? Because he knew his audience struggled that way in the same way that you and I struggle that way. When it comes to the subject of money, it can easily move towards a scarcity mentality and fear, which leads to worry. God desires for us to be people who are willing to trust him. That's the reason why Paul, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, said this. It's the verse that we began with. Command those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Playing catch with God, man, moves in so much better of a way when we learn what it means to trust him by the way that we throw back. It changes our relationship with him. That's another obstacle we deal with, fear and worry. The last one that I wanna talk about actually is the subject of busyness. You might not have thought of that one, but busyness for many of us, we just think, yeah, sure, catch is fun, but I'm just too busy. I'm a busy person, busy, busy, busy. I got things going on. You know, the interesting thing is that we, oftentimes, we, um, we put a lot of thought into the way that we make our money, but we don't often take time to stop and think about what it looks like and where we want our money to go when we give it. You know, the idea, and so, so, so for, for many of us, when we give, it comes from a place of convenience. It's quick and easy. Rather than ever taking time to stop and think about the places that we would want to give, being thoughtful and planned and intentional in the way that we give. Here's, here's what I wanna encourage you to do this week, sometime. I'd love for you to take a little bit of time to sit down and think about where are the places in 2021 that you would wanna give. And this isn't about a percentage. This isn't about the amount. This, this is about a heart issue that goes on with us. What is it that we would love to see happen? How would we love to give? If you're married, I'd love for you to sit down with your spouse and just have that conversation. What does what it look like for you to give this year? And what would you like to be able to give? If you're single, I'd love for you to have a conversation with a couple of friends, with one or two people that you really trust that you can get into a financial conversation with, where you can each share. And then in that, you can come up with different amounts and be able to, as time goes by, encourage each other and hold each other accountable to what it is that you'd like to see God do as you give and are generous in the way that you share with other people. There's something positive about that. You see, when we get rid of the busyness that keeps us from ever playing catch and, and the fear and worry that keeps us from feeling comfortable throwing the ball back, and when we get out of debt, when we can finally get our hands from being strapped down to our sides, all of a sudden, as we play catch, we begin to see a joy in that game. And we begin to see a joy when we open our eyes 
to the ways that God is using what it is that we've given. You know, around here at Blackhawk, within, within our sermons, within the notes that we send out to our congregation through email and different things that way, we like to tell stories about the things that God's doing around here within ministry. You know, like there was one actually that came through right around Christmas time. So at, at Christmas, um, we gave a financial gift to a particular long-term ministry we've had a long-term relationship with. This was not through Advent Conspiracy. You see, within just our general fund, the general fund of the church, the thing that doesn't feel all that exciting or sexy to give to, that, that pays for our staff and for our buildings and things like that, it, it, think about it. It actually pays for our staff who do the ministry that happens. So it pays for our impact ministry team local and global, who are doing all kinds of things, building relationships with all different types of groups. And then on top of that, from that general fund, we also, within that, we have money that goes out to missionaries globally and organizations locally and different people who we're supporting and, uh, and, and really tries to help them within the ministry that they do. So we have a particular ministry that we have a long-term relationship with. And we gave a financial gift. It's an international ministry that works with women and girls who are in difficult situations in another country. And we got this note back. It was actually addressed to our impact coordinator, our impact director, Susan DeMel. It says this. Hi, Susan. There are girls in our town here who will finish 10th grade instead of being married off to much older men illegally. There are mostly women-headed, families who will be able to feed their children instead of contemplating which daughter to sell off in order to do that. There are girls who will grow up into women who will get an education and who will be leaders of a different stripe. There are these girls because of your choices at Blackhawk to see them and to do something to change the pressure that pushes them down. Now your support pushes them up. What a Christmas message. What beautiful young women. What amazing generosity. Thank you from the father of two daughters who never had to face the cruel edge of life. What a privilege to walk alongside you as you keep that cutting edge away from other daughters so far away. <laughs> it's an amazing letter, isn't it? And see, here's the reality is that that letter wasn't just addressed to Susan, wasn't just addressed to Blackhawk staff. If you're a person who, who gives to Blackhawk Church, so you could just scratch out Susan's name because that letter is addressed to you. You see, because you got to play a role in what took place there. You see, all of a sudden, when we begin to open our eyes to see the ways that God works, just in the game of catch that we play with him, we all of a sudden get to experience joy to a deeper level. So every time that you hear a, a my story, you know, around here on a Sunday morning and see a video of a story of life change that's taken place in somebody, yeah, guess what? That's because of your giving that that took place. When you see ministry opportunities that take place that are meeting the needs of students and children and high schoolers and college students, that's because of the giving that you have done. When we end up seeing ways that we're able to, man, serve in the community and serve around the world to transform this place more into the type of place that God intended it to be originally, all of that is because of the way that you give your generosity. 
You see, and every time we see that, there's just this joy that comes about when we end up seeing things that way. See, for, for my wife and I, we, we, we tithe to Black Hawk Church. We give 10%, and we have done that since the time that we got married. And we have always given to the church it is that we were involved in. We have, it, it, I, I don't tithe here because I'm a pastor here. I tithe because this is the place that pours into and shapes me and my family spiritually. And that's something we have always done. And then on top of that, we give to Advent Conspiracy and to other missionaries and organizations and things like that above and beyond that tithe. And so every time when I end up hearing stories like this, there's something that happens inside of me, something that happens inside of Rachel where we realize that we get to be a part of that story. It's just an incredible feeling of joy. And I think this is the thing that God wants for us, that we begin to experience a life that is truly life when we give generously. In other words, we fully live when we freely give. Now, there were 840 people who gave to Advent Conspiracy to bring in over a half a million dollars for all kinds of organizations and every dollar of that's going outside the walls of this place. And there are man, a good chunk of people who give to our general fund. But really when we look at both of those numbers, those numbers in comparison to the amount of people who call Black Hawk Church home, that ends up being a fairly small percentage. Now this... This is not to guilt trip anybody. But just stop and imagine for a minute what could take place if we were all in the game together. If we were all playing catch with God just in whatever we receive from him that we would take some of it turn and give back to him by giving to others and sharing. My wife and I, we, uh, we like playing Ultimate Frisbee. That's the reason why we pulled one of those out for the little catch time that we were doing that. And we like going to Madison Radicals game. That's the professional Ultimate Frisbee team here in Madison. I don't know if you realize that was really a thing. But yes, at Breeze Stevens Field, we have a professional Ultimate Frisbee team. And lots of people come out to watch those games. And one particular game that we went to, one of the last ones that we went to when you could actually go to live sporting events, um, after the game, they allowed people to go down onto the field just to be able to throw around. And we were in a conversation with some friends, you know, that we were having in the stands afterwards. We got done with that conversation. We were turning to leave and we looked at the field. And there were just people everywhere. Parents with their kids, like just sitting there throwing back and forth, teaching them how to throw for the first time. Other people who were throwing a short distance away. Other people that were like hucking Frisbees all the way down the field, like to each other, like on a dime. It was unbelievable. But you just saw all of these people and all of these Frisbees. <laughs> I just looked at it and I thought, I want to go down there because that looks so fun, right? I want to be a part of that right now. You see, I think that that's the opportunity that we have as a church. Like we have this opportunity to step into something and to get into this came with catch with God, with all of us in this place doing that together and seeing how fun it truly can be and seeing the ways that God uses us together. Imagine the lives that could be changed. Imagine the story that we could tell. Imagine the impact that we could have if all of us, man, across our entire church, just playing catch. As God gives to us, we turn and give some back to him by giving to others, by sharing, by doing good deeds, by living generously. 
You see, I think the stories that we would hear would transform all of us and the joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment of being some, a part of something bigger than ourselves, it would be life-changing. This is what the good life really is because we fully live when we freely give. Let me pray for us. Lord God, Thank you so much for the way that you give to us. I know that looks so different for so many of us here who are in such different places uh, financially, dealing with different situations and circumstances. But God, I thank you that you have created us to be people who experience life that's truly life, not just by consuming, but by entering into your story and giving generously and freely. Would you break down the barriers in our own life that keep us from living that way, from keep us from believing that story? And God, I pray for our church as a whole as we move forward, that you would allow us to be a place that is generous, not for our sake, but for your sake. So that when people, when they see the way that we just play catch with you, that they would ultimately see you as God who is truly generous that you would help us to be able to change and transform this city, this nation, this world more into the type of place that you intended it to be. God, thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.